Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the word. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord once again. We're excited for this is the day that the Lord has made. We rejoice and we're glad in it. Today is going to be an awesome service. You're going to have a great time. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. With me in said today, I have with me, the mighty woman of God, Pastor Modesta Sweeney. Praise the Lord. We thank God for you. And our man of God, Apostle Grace Lubega. Apostle Grace, it's an honor to be on set with you. We thank you for the blessing of God that you are to us and as a ministry. Today's title and theme of our discussion, we're going to unmask the spirit of poverty. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Apostle Grace Recently, in one of the meetings, you made a very important statement about one having a slack hand. The Bible says very clearly that he becometh poor, he that has a slack hand. That means God never ordained men to be poor. God never ordained men to be poor. But the scripture says it very clearly, Proverbs 10, 4, that he becometh poor, he that dealeth with a slack hand. But the Bible says, but the hand of the diligent maketh rich. Apostle Grace I would humbly request you to open this discussion because I feel God has placed a lot on your heart in regard to people have a certain mentality, especially um, Africa. I know poverty is all over the world, but in previous teachings, you have even given examples of, uh, for example, very wealthy countries in Africa, like Congo, with a lot of minerals, but a lot of the population there is poor. So, Apostle Grace, I would humbly request you to kindly open this discussion and please help us understand what is poverty. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much. Now, again, in unmasking the spirit of poverty, we're going to share a lot, but it's important for us to understand why we share what we share. Because like Pastor Zach has emphasized, Christianity has taught us that man was not made to be poor. We have taught before that the earth is for the profit of all and that only the king is served by the field and the cultivated land is an advantage. To a king is an advantage. So um, when the Bible says that the thief cometh but to steal, kill, and destroy, but I am come that you might have life and have it more abundantly, more abundantly. I don't think that God is talking about poverty. And I've told people before, poverty is a spirit. If you want to understand how powerful poverty is as a spirit, look at what poverty does. Because we're talking about poverty. Poverty begins from the heart of a man. To be poor at heart. And because you're poor at heart, your mentality and mindset is poor. Look at what it does. Some people go out and kill others for something. Why? Because their mind tells them they cannot have it. You cannot kill somebody to get something that you have. 
Look at the women who sell their bodies and put their bodies at risk on the streets because they're poor. We have had experiences of uh, reaching out to prostitutes on the streets and they'll tell you, I'm just looking for some food for my babies. I don't like what I'm doing. Poverty has led or has bred some of the most evil things that I've seen, I've ever seen in my life. Some people are envious because of poverty. Some people are bitter because of poverty. Some families are destroyed because of poverty. Some ministries cannot preach the gospel like they should. Some people are dying because of poverty. Because of poverty. They don't have enough to eat well. They don't have enough to have good medication. And they die. So poverty is a spirit. And God has not called us to poverty. So in our conversation of unmasking the spirit of poverty, sometimes then the question ultimately goes to why are certain parts of the world richer than other parts? Why are some people rich and certain people poor? You see? And in that conversation, I want to provoke us to think most intimately with the way God has made us, the way God has created human beings and the faculties that he has given us. You see, he has given us feet. He has given us hands. He's given us, most importantly, a mind. Are you hearing me? Most importantly, a mind. The Bible says in Romans that I serve the law of God with my mind. Some people think that when you are a spiritual person, you disconnect from your faculties. But in Romans 7.25, he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ. So then with my mind, he says, I myself serve the law of God. With my mind, I serve the law of God. So there is a place that God wants to deal with us concerning how we think. And I have realized that the way we raise up people, I've told people that if you're raising children, for example, the first seven years of a child are important. The first seven years of a child are important. The mindset that you give them is key in whether they will live well in life or they will not make it. And many people do not know that our education, the systems of education, have a lot to do with why people are poor because the mind is educated wrongly. The heart is educated wrongly. We see things from a survival perspective. We see things from an enslaved mindset. So to seek to renew the mind to help us understand what is wrong with us, we have to begin firstly by appreciating, even especially in Africa, if you see the challenges of poverty we have been dealing with in Africa, it goes to the kind of education that we have in our nations. It goes with the kind of how the mind has been educated. And I'm not just talking about what I learn at school. I'm also talking about what we are taught at home, what tradition can give us, what culture can give us, what belief systems can give us, what norms can give us, what values can give us. Somebody shout hallelujah. And so in trying to unmask the spirit of poverty, we ask ourselves, how does this spirit operate? And how does the spirit of poverty operate? And the Lord showed me that the spirit of poverty operates under the spirit of laziness. That's why you read the scripture very well, very keenly, that he becometh poor 
he that dealeth with a slack hand. You see? So the slackness, the slothfulness there, the sluggard in there, the Bible says that is what makes a man poor. At least the Bible is clear in Proverbs 10 4. Now remember, when we're talking about the journey of Solomon, Song of Songs in his earlier years of life, Proverbs in his mid age, and Ecclesiastes in his place of maturity, you realize that Solomon teaches so much about the spirit of poverty in Proverbs. Because that was a time himself as a man is trying to discover himself and stretch uh, himself into building upon what his father had left him and building wealth as we know it as he later testifies in his adult age in Ecclesiastes, high here must wealth and gold and silver and he was richer than anybody before him. You see that? So, when we're talking about the spirit of a sluggard, a slothful spirit, spirit of laziness, that is the very cause, the core agent of the spirit of poverty. Why? Because the spirit of poverty is a result of the spirit of slothfulness or a sluggard or laziness. Why? In Proverbs, the 18th chapter, the 9th verse, the Bible says, he also that is slothful in his work is a brother to him that is a great waster. And it's that wastage that tendeth to poverty. He that is slothful in his work is a brother to him that is a waster. Now, the Hebrew word there for waster is shaukath, meaning a destroyer, meaning a corrupter meaning someone who ruins or things, meaning something which decays. Shaukat, right? So the slothful spirit is a waster. The slothful spirit is a corrupter. The slothful spirit decays things. It ruins things. It messes up things. It's in that wastage that poverty comes. The slothful spirit wastes gift. The slothful spirit wastes talent. The slothful spirit wastes skill. It wastes ability. It wastes potential. It wastes everything. You see? Because God has put a seed, that essence of him in every man, and the ability to create because we are procreators with God, isn't it? Especially when we become born again, we become kings, okay? And like I shared recently, the king has to create, can create, you see? So the slothful spirit, the lazy spirit, when it gets into an individual, when it starts to operate on the life of an individual, the essence of God within them to make them rich is wasted. It corrupts the essence of wealth and riches on an individual's life. So when we're talking about poverty, let us see it from that perspective. That firstly, that wastage has to take place. That ruin must take place. And then eventually the spirit of poverty comes in. So poverty is as a result of a slothful spirit, a lazy spirit, a slow spirit, a sluggard. Somebody shout hallelujah. Now, scripturally, there are five signs that reveal the spirit of a sluggard or a slothful man or a lazy man. And I tell you this 
study your life or study somebody else. Every point that I'm going to make of this faith and look at a man who has three or four of those things and look at their lives, they are poor. It doesn't matter how many jobs they can get. It doesn't matter how many businesses they can get. It does not matter how many opportunities come their way, they will waste them. So they mean that opportunities don't come. They mean that doors don't open. You know, when somebody has a spirit of a sluggard, even if you give them $20 million now, within a year, within two years or four years, it's gone. Because they don't understand that there's virtue in keeping wealth. One of five principles of wealth. There should be a virtue. There is a virtue in keeping wealth. To make it is one thing and to keep it is another. Okay? So there are five things. Look at anybody. Study anyone or begin with yourself if you know that you're struggling with poverty. Begin with yourself and consider, wrap yourself around these five things. If you have three or four of those, chances are that that is why you see poverty in your life. And I've studied people, I've seen, this is something that, like so I'm saying, we are unmasking the spirit of poverty. We're going to reveal it and show you how it works. And when the Lord began to show me these things in a vision, and I started to write them down, and I went to scripture and started to search them out, I was amazed how very distinctive and clear scripture is about these issues. So the spirit of a Wester has five things. Five. And let us begin. Number one. In Proverbs, the sixth chapter, the sixth verse. It says, go to the ant. Now he's talking to the man who is slothful. He says, go to the ant, thou sluggard. And says, consider her ways and be wise. What is the ardent wisdom here? He says, they have no guide, no overseer or ruler. Listen, the ants have no guide. They have no overseer and they have no ruler. But the Bible says, but they provide their meat in the summer and gathereth her food in the harvest. They know how to provide meat in summer and how to gather food in the harvest. He's saying the ant should teach you something. That's why later he says, how long will thou sluggard sleep? When thou will rise out of thy sleep, yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep, so shall thy poverty come as one that traveleth, and thy want as an armed man. Now, your poverty, thy poverty. He didn't say poverty, but thy poverty. It's your poverty. It's owned by scripture by the sluggard, because they first become a sluggard and then poverty comes on them. Poverty belongs to the sluggard. That's why he says, your poverty. You see? But here is the wisdom. If you want to tell a sluggard spirit, according to Proverbs chapter 6, verses 6 to 11, look at a man who is not self-motivated or proactive. Look at somebody who can only perform when somebody's watching them. Look at somebody who can only perform when somebody's supervising them. Look at somebody who can only perform when somebody calls them. Look at someone who can only perform when you put your eye on somebody. Look at somebody who can only perform 
when you seek to motivate them a certain way, that they don't have an individual drive. In modern day business, in those people who run businesses, specifically modern management, we used to have a term that they used to call working under minimal supervision. They tell you that this kind of stuff cannot work without supervision. This one can work under minimal or no supervision. They can drive themselves. And this one, they will give you 100% if you supervise them. Look at any man whom they have to push. Look at any man who cannot be proactive. Who cannot think up of a concept and solve a solution because before somebody gives them an answer, that man is suffering with a sluggard spirit, even if they're the hardest worker. So that's the confusion people have. They think that lazy people cannot work. No, 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 no. Actually, a sluggard can be a hard worker, but can be so indifferent to how this works. That's why I said it's important to raise children a certain way. You see? Because some of those things that we're dealing with, we're dealing with them because we were raised that way. Something was not planted in our spirits concerning how to live or do life. So, I have been around people. They will sit and do everything they want. They see a supervisor or somebody big coming or <laughs> their boss and they start what? Working. You see? If you don't put a certain eye on them, they cannot do anything. If you don't call them to follow up on a task, they cannot execute it. That's the spirit of a sluggard. And show me a man who lives that way and I will show you a man who is poor. Or if you study their lives, you're going to see events and scenarios of poverty consistently in their lives. It doesn't matter how much they pray. It doesn't matter how much they fast. This is a wisdom issue. I tell people, if you can align a man's psyche to work to full capacity, a man's mind to work to full capacity, you will realize even if you give them 10% of the spiritual and you give them 90% of the mind, they will be wealthy. They will be wealthy. Because if you read scripture, in almost every principle that God has arrayed for wealth, it has to do with how a man thinks. It has to do with how a man aligns their minds. Meditation is here. Decision making is here. Planning is here. Ideals and attitudes, they are here. Somebody shout hallelujah. Those don't exist in the prayer realm. No man can pray themselves to wealth. Otherwise, the most prayerful people will be the most wealthy. No man can pray themselves to wealth. No. But are you the kind of person who cannot motivate and operate without a man watching you, without a man supervising you, without a man coming around you, without somebody checking on you and what you're doing? If you are that kind of person, if you can work without any man supervising you or any man looking onto you and some people even get annoyed, why should you follow me up? You know, don't you think I can do it? I'm an adult and then you let them be. <laughs> and they will never do it. Any wealthy spirit is self-driven to success. Nobody pushes it. Somebody shout hallelujah. Shout hallelujah. The second point, watch any man who wastes what is valuable? Huh? Watch any man who wastes what is valuable to another man. 
Watch any man who wastes what is valuable to another man. That's the spirit of a sluggard. In Proverbs, the 19th chapter, the 24th verse, the Bible says, listen, the sluggard hideth his hand in his bosom and will not so much as bring it out to his mouth. If you will read it, I believe, from the Amplified Version. He says, the sluggard buries his hand, listen, in the dish and will not as much as bring it to his mouth. So, if a man puts his hand into a dish of food and he does not bring out that food to the mouth, what does that mean? They're wasting it. They're wasting it. Food is a valuable entity to humanity. One time I was giving an example of people who waste food. It doesn't matter how much money you have. How do you go, let's say at a party, and you guys have a serving table from here up to there, and there are all kinds of foods, and somebody fills their plate to the brim, and then they go down and sit, and they eat a little, and 60 or 70% of that food is wasted. And you can say, oh, well, maybe she or he did not enjoy the food. Oh, because I'm a very contemplative person, I have taken time to even study certain individuals. You say, hmm, maybe this food was not nice. You go on another occasion. They sit on the same line of food and they serve the same kind of place. And on that same day, they waste it. Maybe even this food was not okay. The third time again, you go on the same table and they serve this big plate of food again. There's a fascination of wanting to carry everything because it's available, but there is no wisdom and accountability and consciousness that they will waste what another man will need. That's a sluggard. And if a man acts that way, look at their personal life. Something within their finances is broken. Something concerning their wealth is broken. Something concerning their financial destiny is frustrated. I've just given an example of food. Why should you waste something because you have it? If it's of another value to another man, why should you waste it? Remember, the spirit of a sluggard is a waster. But here, it wastes. What, you see, you could waste what is not valuable to man. And that's all right. But you are wasting what another man needs. There are people right now in the world sleeping hungry. And there's another man who does not even have common sense to think when I'm serving this food, can I leave it and take what I'm able to eat to allow another person to have a meal? Or if there is excess, then they'll give it to somebody else. If you don't have that mindset, you are poor. And it doesn't matter how many books you have. It doesn't matter how many doctorates you have. Certain things will start to surround you and tell you that you're actually poor. Things will start flipping before your eyes. It might take 10 years. It might take 15 years. It might take 20 years. But it will truly show. It always comes out. Because there are people, even in their you know, youthful times, they can make wealth. And as they start growing older, it goes because they waste. They waste. If you're not going to take something, why don't you look for somebody to give it? 
How many things have you hoarded in your house? You're never going to use them. You don't need them. But anyway, you're wasting them. Every day they are losing their value. You don't need those things. You don't use them in your daily affair. But you want to keep them anyway. You just want to look at your old TV. I know guys like that. They have a very old TV. Huh? You tell him, but why don't you look for a poor family? No, no, no. Leave my television. Ten years, leave my television. And then one day it rots. And then they say, you know what? Throw it away. <laughs> what is in that man's heart to hold on to something he does not need and cannot believe God that in the time he will need some better, the provision of God that brought this, which he has refused to release and this which he uses presently, will be sufficient to give him the next one. Some is wrong with that mind. Somebody shout hallelujah. Look at a person who wastes. Look at somebody who goes at a workplace and gets a cup of tea and puts it next to a keyboard and something in him does not tell him that this tea could actually spill in the keyboard. And then they spill it and somebody says, well, this is a bank. They'll buy another one. Listen to that kind of mentality. Listen to that kind of mentality. They'll buy another. I told people that when I was banking, the Spirit of the Lord rebuked me to even the socket that I left on that I used to go back in the bank and switch off that socket. The Spirit of the Lord used to rebuke me to make sure that the lights of the bank are switched off. Well, if I forget two or three lights in the back office, that is no big deal. The bank will pay the bill. But there's something in me that cannot allow the bank to lose two or three hundred shillings because of a light running. I have to go and switch it off. That's a wealthy mind. Why? Because if you're faithful in another man's, what does God do? He gives you your own. 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 You're working in a studio, but you cannot even hold the camera right. And somebody puts a camera in a way that will throw it down. You can see there is no common sense in that individual to tell them that the way you've put this thing is going to break. That's why if somebody has a slack hand, you can't keep something without being broken. If it's a phone, you'll break it. If it's a watch, it's cracked. You can't keep a watch for two years. Something around you just cannot hold things right. Even if they drive their car. You see, the way they drive and the way they handle their cars, you can tell that this is a poor mind. You see what I'm saying? Whatever God has given you. So I, I give an example again. Somebody has a cup. It's full of tea. And they know that there is a possibility of something knocking this cup off. Or at least there should be wisdom. Let me say, let me put it a bit afar to make sure that the computer is not in trouble. They are laughing and in a conversation, they put the cup just next to that. Then the tea pours into that keyboard and the keyboard dies. The keyboard dies. One time I was dealing with a young man. He was on a, an open meeting and he had a very nice keyboard of an iMac. And rain started falling. And he continued working. He continued working. And rain dripped into that keyboard. And it died. You know? And then he goes to his boss and says, the keyboard got spoiled. Why? The rain hit it. You are seated in front of a keyboard. You know that it is not waterproof. The rain is falling. And you continue using that keyboard. What is working in your life? 
How can that man be rich? How can that man be rich? How? Because imagine that keyboard was $100 million. It was worth $100 million. It's gone. They've wasted it. There's something on them that can't keep something alive. There are people like that. They waste what is valuable. They just waste what is valuable. They waste what is valuable. Some of us can even hold phones for two, three years and they're still working. There are people who can't hold a phone for two weeks. They'll buy another one and they can't hold it for two weeks. They'll crash it. Something will happen. Why? Because there's a slack hand on them. When a man has a slack hand, even if he holds a cup, it will fall out of their hands. Even if they have a plate, they'll break it. They'll break it. If you start observing that kind of life on you, pray against it. Refuse it. Don't say, oh, sure, it broke. It's an accident. No, it's an accident if it's irregular. But it, it stops to become an accident if it's always happening with you continuously. Something is wrong. There are people who can't hold anything. They have a cup, they'll break it. They have a plate, they will break it. They'll have a screen in front of them, they'll break it. You know, anything, anything they have, they'll break it. They'll just find themselves. And it's not their intention. They don't intend it. If you study them individually, they want not to break it. But they don't have the power and strength within them. They don't know why their hand cannot hold something firmly. And some of them in the process even damage themselves. You see, why? Because the hand is slack. And I tell people, when you start to see the things around you break, don't take it lightly. When you start to see things around you wasting what is valuable, don't take it lightly. Even if you are renting a man's house. Some of you say, oh, but I'm renting. You visit somebody, they're renting somebody's house, you enter the house and it's dirty. It's filthy. They've cracked the tiles, they've cracked everything, the walls are all painted and written on, and why? We're renting, we're paying rent. That's poverty. Even if you're in another man's rental, listen, if you're going to own rentals one day, treat that man's house the way you want your rental to be treated. Clean the toilet of that rental like you should. If a child dattens the wall and writes on it, give it a few months and paint it clean. Oh, some say, but I pay. It's in the responsibility and contract of the landlord to paint this wall. That kind of mentality. That kind of mentality. They waste what is valuable. If you see a man with that, number two, that man will turn to poverty. Somebody shout hallelujah. Are we learning something? Number three. A sluggard functions only inconvenience or in circumstances that are comfortable. That's a person with a sluggard spirit which tends to poverty. They only function in convenience and only under comfortable circumstances. Proverbs 20 verse 4. The sluggard will not plow by reason of the cold. <laughs> the sluggard will not plow by reason of the cold. And because they cannot plow by reason of the cold, the Bible says when the harvest comes, they beg because they have nothing. But why did he not plow? He did not plow by reason of the cold. I'll give you a typical example. Typical example. The woman that taught me to do business, besides my father, the woman that taught me to do business, she taught me something and said to me one day, 
You should never use rain as an excuse for your job. Never use rain as an excuse for you not to perform. That is something I've known since I was little because I first worked at the age 13. My first job as the age 13. My father told me to work very early. And I thank God for that man. Do you know there are people who will not attend to certain things or do what they're supposed to do because it has rained? I'm sorry, I should have done this deal, but it rained. I'm sorry, I should have attended to something that is even valuable to them, but it rained. I'm sorry, I should have done this, but you know, I was very sleepy. And so I could not attend. They always have reasons. The only way they can attend and function is under the ambits of convenience and comfort. Anything outside comfort, they cannot do. If it's not comfortable for them, look at ministry. Ministry is not going to be comfortable for you. Because you're dealing with individuals who are raised from different homes and families. Who think differently? Who operate differently? Some are sluggards a hundred times more than you are. You understand? But God has still given you the authority and grace to be able to work with them in convenience and out of convenience, in comfort and out of comfort. And somebody says, you know what? I'm tired of serving in this office because it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable. Oh no, they're talking to me a certain way. Well, Vanessa, just chosen a, a random name. Did you ask God whether you're supposed to leave that post or you're leaving that post because Rita made you uncomfortable? Not real names. You understand what I'm saying? Somebody says, you know, I'm quitting this. Why? Because my boss is stressing me. Okay? Did you pray about this quitting or you are quitting because your boss stressed you? What if the stress that is happening in your life is actually a chastening, a disciplining of the Lord to take you to the next level of character that is necessary to handle the next glory and increase by God? Jacob served a very difficult man, Laban. But we did not know until later that he was going to father 12 tribes and define the character of the 12 tribes of Israel. If Jacob was going to do that, if he was going to further the tribes of Israel, there was a certain training and character that God had to build under within his spirit while he was under Laban. For David to become king, he had to serve Saul. Certain things were not really easy. I mean, how can you serve a guy who tomorrow gets a spear and throws it against you? How do you serve a guy who tomorrow, you know, you wake up and demons are over his head and you have to play an instrument to get demons off? And when demons are off, you still have to serve that anointing. Why? Because God is raising a man after his own heart. Now, this person has made the war very personal. They think, you know, this Susan has an issue against them. Rachel has an issue against them. No, I think I'm quitting. What? Okay, so when God was sending you there to serve, when God was sending you in that job, you think he did not know that you're going to find crazy people? He did. And all of those are part of the Romans 8.28. Put them in Romans 8.28. For all things work together for good to them that love the Lord and are called according to his purposes. The Bible says when the spirit of the ruler rises against you, the Bible says do not leave your place because yielding pacifieth offense. 
Somebody is rebuked by their supervisor and they want to quit tomorrow because their supervisor spoke to them a wrong way. I can't handle this. And sorry to say, it's especially the younger generation. I know I'm young too, but there's a younger, younger generation. <laughs> the 90s. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. You understand what I'm saying? Because they don't know what it's like to be hard, to toughen up within. I hear me. They don't know what it's like to say, you know, let me endure. Let me tell you. After university, I got a job and I started working with some guys, graduates. And almost all the graduates that I worked, except one or two, left us in the time of working because our working conditions were hard. They were hard. And these guys left, ah, no, I can't handle this. I would rather sit home. <laughs> Somebody says, I would rather sit home. You understand what I'm saying? than churning their craft and skill and talent, than sharpening what God has given them to allow it to grow, they would rather sit home. And they quit. And when I look back in retrospect, they are poor. I can mention one at a go in my head and they are all struggling with poverty right now. Why? Because they can only work under convenience and comfort. They can't endure. Never let any circumstance deter you from something when you know it's of purpose. When you know it's of purpose. Under all the hardest conditions, I have preached the gospel. We preached the gospel on border borders. We preached the gospel and walked miles. We preached the gospel and slept on the floors of airports. I remember one time I got a wrong information from an Indian fellow when I was in Hong Kong flying to Malaysia. God has sent me to Malaysia. And this guy deceives me and I don't even know the way there and I get into the airport of Kuala Lumpur and I don't even know what to do. But God has told me, go to Malaysia. I don't know anybody in Malaysia. But God has told me, go to Malaysia. You see that? And it was a very cold, very, very cold uh, time that time. Very, very cold. And I remember myself going in the corner of that airport, in a corner somewhere. And I slept through the whole night and I had to stay in that airport from that night up to the next day about 2 p.m. And I did not have enough money on me, so I starved. You see what I'm saying? But none of that compared to the thing in my spirit telling me that under all circumstances, I must go and preach the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, when you see what is happening in Kuching right now, what these guys are doing in the fellowships, the kind of conferences we're doing in Malaysia, it was all worth it. It was all worth it. But we have preachers who say that if I don't have a business class ticket, I'm not going to preach. Look at him. Look at him. Jesus didn't take flights. And I believe his shoes were less comfortable than the ones we have in our day. Somebody shout hallelujah. He says, preach the gospel in and out of season. Somebody shout hallelujah. He says, be instant. <laughs> in and out of season. Be instant. Be instant. They tell you, run with this. Run with it tomorrow. They tell you, execute this. Execute this the next day. If they tell you, hurry into this, do it the next day. Do it immediately the moment you ask. Do it. But some of it again, I say, most of it is in how we are educated in the mind as we're growing up. That's why parents, 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 these things that I'm teaching, give them to your children while they're still little. 
you'll never struggle. My father took me to my first job at the age of 13 in my primary seven. Told me work. And I used to work every day. My hands would come, you know, a little damaged because I had bottles to tie and stuff like that. And I used to come filled with glue. But that was okay. It was something that man was planting in my spirit. So our work ethic, the way my father raised me, my work ethic, I'm not boasting, it's the truth. It's up there. I run businesses that are all working. I preach the gospel every day. In some way, there's a devotional coming out every morning. There's a devotional coming out every morning of your life as long as you remember. 365 days a year, there's a devotional. And none of those devotionals gets to you without getting through me. You see that? There's sermons everywhere. We preach every week. Fanero grew to 2,000 members while us in the bank working. And then you tell me that a preacher cannot serve 20 people except he quits from his job. <laughs> you understand? We grew to 2,000 members while we were still working because we can do all things through Christ which strengthens us. Somebody shout hallelujah. The fourth, the spirit of a sluggard is unteachable. It's unteachable. Proverbs, the 26th chapter, the 16th verse. He says that the sluggard is wiser in his own conceit than seven men that can render a reason. He is wiser in his own conceit than seven men that can render a reason. When somebody has a sluggard spirit, they tend to know everything about everything and they feel in the world that they know most except everyone else and they cannot be taught. Look at them when you correct them and say this is not how this is supposed to be. I think, sister, the way you spoke was not right. Brother Peter, I think the way you responded in this circumstance was not right. Because when somebody says, I think it was not right. Perhaps they're telling you that there's something that you have overlooked either by reason of being, you know, upbringing or because some cultures act different. A couple of years ago, I went to a cultural center where, you know, people with different cultures come and dance. And, and then I saw a certain dance from the north. And in the dance from the north, this woman is dancing as she's slapping the man on the head. And I'm thinking, what? In their culture, that is how they run a marriage ceremony or something like that. How can you slap a Muganda man on the head? Even touching on our beard is dangerous. Unless you're my wife or child. You understand what I'm saying? You see what I'm saying? Some people have cultural things, maybe to them, you know. But there are things that are not proper. And sometimes when somebody rebukes you, they're actually trying to show you a way of life and tell you, you know what, this is not how things are done. I was telling people recently, I was uh, on a flight somewhere and I watched a very interesting documentary for what the guys are now doing in the Middle East because the Middle East has been so blessed. They reach almost 80% of the labor force in the United Arab Emirates is imported. The Emiratis, the biggest percentage of them don't work. They have enough money to live by oil and medicine. So they've realized that because of the abundance of wealth, there are things that they're starting to emphasize more than other things. And part of the newer education is to teach children how to do life. They're now rewarding more the emotional quotient than the intelligent quotient. That you can be smart, but are you emotionally stable? You have a guy, he performs well, he's top of the class, and he sits before 20 guys and he has one of the most stinky attitudes. You see what I'm saying? It's unteachable. So they realize 
that now we also have to invest in teaching people how to be emotionally alive, how to be emotionally aligned. I call it the true north, that we can all have ways in which we think things are right. All the ways of a man seem rightful. And some ways actually at the end are of death, is destruction, but they actually don't know that something is wrong with the way they're doing things. You see what I'm saying? How do you talk to your boss? Someone who you know pays you. How do you talk to your supervisor? When I was growing up, I worked in places, many places. Somebody quarrels with their supervisor and they talk to them as though they are equal. It doesn't matter what your supervisor has done. The Bible says all powers are ordained by God and he that resisteth the powers resisteth God. You can abuse your manager and think you've abused an individual. He's flesh and blood. He's not even born again. You understand? But the Bible says in Romans 13, 2, whoever resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God. And the Bible says, and those that resist that ordinance, the Bible says they receive damnation. Some of you were paying prices because of how you dealt with those God had set before you. And he knew they were going to be crazy and stubborn. It didn't shock God. He knew they were going to be hard to work with and deal with. But the reason why he puts you there is he believes that you have enough wisdom to know how to deal with an angry man, to know how to deal with a disrespectful person, to know how to deal with an abusive person, to know how, the wisdom to know how, the wisdom to know how. Now, these things I'm telling you, I told you they don't exist in the realm of prayer, but study a man and study three or four of these things I've spoken and you'll see a person who is poor. Look at anybody struggling financially. In other aspects, you're going to see that there's a problem here. <laughs> God has called us to walk in wisdom, in the dispensation of men which are without how do you deal with a peer? How do you even deal with those under you? It's important. Because you discover Laban's blessing, the supervisor, was not on him. It was on somebody who served him. The blessing of Laban was on Jacob. The Bible says, and Laban said unto him, pray thee if I found favor in thine eyes. This is the manager asking his junior, if I found favor in your eyes, Please do not leave me tarry, for I have learned by experience that the Lord hath blessed me for your sake. There are also managers and supervisors who act like they own the whole world. They own the whole world. One time I sat in a taxi and there was a conductor, our Ugandan Matatus, right? So you have a guy, they put in 14 passengers and then they lock. Those of you who are in different nations, but I don't know what it is. I think the passenger gives money and then he expects a certain change back and it's not given back. And so he raises his issue to the conductor and the conductor turns and abuses this guy vehemently. And I remember the man was seated in the back and he said, his words, he said, if you can abuse somebody who is paying you, to get you your next meal this way and you're still a conductor. I wonder how you would be if you owned a car. I wonder how you would be if you owned a car. There for me was my understanding. 
God spoke to my heart and told me, this man cannot own a car with that attitude. He cannot own a car. He would kill a man with that car. You see what I'm saying? And lastly, the fifth, Proverbs 12, 27 tells us the last secret about the sluggard. He says that the slothful man does not catch his game or roast it once he kills it. He does not catch his game or roast it once he kills it. He does not catch his game or roast it when he kills it. That means that they never finish tasks. If they do, they can never finish them on time. How can you kill game and fail to have the strength to roast it? Again, the western. Why did he kill it? Why did he kill it? Are you hearing me? Such people never accomplish tasks. Or if they should, they will never finish tasks within time frames. And some of it goes through education. And unfortunately, I'm going to say this very seriously. It's a big problem in Africa. Recently, there's a task that we wanted to be done for us, me and my wife. And so she asks me, who do you think I should ask to do this? I told her, no, you talk to this so-and-so, she'll help you. And so she sent a message to this individual. And this individual said, I'll get back to you in a week or two or something. A week became a week, became months and months. And this individual never got back. Trust me, I know in my heart this individual is a good person. I know them because they have seen them do other things so well. So they don't mean bad. Then my wife comes and says, but I've spoken to this person and they failed to help us. And I have somebody, a few of them submitted to us, but I have an American girl submitted to us. And I told her, call her and tell her to do it. The next day, we had the information we needed. So here, I'm not trying to be racist or anything. Come on, I'm African. What I'm saying is, I see that this person was taught right in how to achieve goals and execute tasks when they were little. If you have run a business, you will see how African people work. Not all, but some. If you are running ministry, you will see how they work. Not all, but it's an educational issue. Someone kills his hunt, but he has no power and time and energy to roast it. So they cannot translate even that which they have the ability to access. God has given you the grace to hunt from a field and the wisdom to know how to kill game. But you can't roast it. They don't go the full nine yards. They don't know how to go the whole way. They cannot study value chains. You understand what I'm saying? Let me give you a simple example. If you are a Christian, especially, and you are a coffee exporter for one year, two, three years, but you don't even know how coffee is grown, you have a problem. How come you don't have details of how that works? You understand what I'm saying? If you deal in coffee, study the whole value chain from the beginning to the end, you don't need to be doing it, but you must know how it works. If you deal in maize, corn, study how corn goes, what are the best seedlings, how is the best conditions of growing that crop, how is the yield done, what is the water 
content? How does it dry out? How do we weigh? How do we keep it? How do we keep, you know, the chemicals off? Whatever we do, you must know the whole value chain to the end. It doesn't matter whether you sell the whole processed, you know, maize flour. Know the process. Because one time, an opportunity can come. It will size itself around another area within the same chain. And somebody says, no, I don't do that. There's these people who do that. No, God has opened the door for you to be able to explore. How can you say that you're a sound man and you don't invest time in reading about sound? You're a sound man in a ministry. You don't add to yourself. You can't even read about the mixer you have to know what it's able to do. For me, that already tells me you're a sluggard and you're slothful. You will tend to poverty eventually. And I thank God for my first bank where I worked you know, KCB, they used to allow us to rotate. They used to encourage rotations. So there you are customer care, more business banking, more in credit, more back office, you're doing the deals, you're going up, you're sitting in for the manager or the operations, you learn how things are working. I love that program because it allowed us to say, when you are a banker, what does that mean? They wanted to make a holistic banker. But I know people who have been in the bank for 10 years and they only know one desk. And some of them, we left them there. We found them in the bank and we left them in the bank and moved on. You see what I'm saying? When he says you've caught it, he said go through the whole process, learn how to roast it, learn how to serve it, learn how to eat it. Study your field from the beginning to the end. I'm a preacher. I must read. I read almost six hours of my 24 hours. I'm reading the word. I'm studying things. I'm studying life. I'm studying science. I'm studying physics. I'm studying quantum physics. I'm studying anthropology. I'm studying astrology. I'm studying the wormhole. I'm studying all these things. Because I'm a man of God. I am a preacher of the gospel. I need to have enough information to preach to you tomorrow. You see what I'm saying? He's part of the craft. He finds a guy, he's sleeping every day, and he expects that he's going to have revelation. How? That's not in the prayer realm. There are things God can't tell you in prayer. <laughs> there are things God cannot tell you in prayer. No, you have to apply yourself to what he has given you and is available for you to do. Somebody shout hallelujah. So, those are the five. If a man works under convenience and comfort. If a man is unteachable, if a man cannot execute tasks on time or does not execute tasks at all, if a man wastes whatever is valuable to another, if a man is not self-motivated and cannot be proactive, look at those five things and study anyone struggling financially or who is poor, you'll find they'll have at least three of those five. Anybody. You study yourself and look at how much backlog you have in life, how much unfinished things you have, how you execute tasks that are given to you either by your pastor or your job or whatever. You study yourself and you'll find those five. At least three or four of them are you. Yet it's enough to make a man poor, even with one of them. Only one like this. It's enough to make a man poor. You study the five. 
you will see. You will see. Thank you very much, Papa. I'm really enlightened. There is this thing I was talking to Pastor Zach about just before we got here. There's something called voluntary poverty. I saw it some time back, not in Africa here, but Pastor Zach was also telling me that it's so much here. Voluntary poverty where people choose a certain life. They deny themselves material possession. They deny themselves of the pleasures of life in the name of it being a form of a moral excellence and also it being a certain form of merit for life. Zay, what's your mind okay. on that? Thank you for that question. Let me begin from a perspective of, of faith. Let me begin from our faith because many of the people who actually do that do it usually from a spiritual perspective. Yes, usually. Sir. Yes, sir. You know, we have read in church history about the monks and how they used to isolate themselves and go into caves and then do writings and then come back because they are tired of the fallen world. They cannot expose themselves to evil and darkness. Well, I don't judge their course. I respect their course. But that is not what wins souls. That is not what builds the kingdom of God. That is not what advances the kingdom of God. And I'm not saying that God has not called us to a place of prayer. Solitude is a very fundamental pillar of anyone who is going to enjoy fellowship with God. I love solitude. I love being alone. Every man or woman of God should practice that. But there are always extremes. But I saw that with the monks. You know, they used to isolate themselves from certain works. And some of them, the course is very clear. You know, they're trying to achieve something or probably kill their flesh or something. That's a personal issue. I don't have a problem if somebody abases themselves based on their personal conviction. I have a problem if they impose that as doctrine and then assume that that's piety and the standard of holiness before all. I think that's wrong. If for whatever reason somebody feels they want to separate themselves, if you're John the Baptist and you're going to eat locusts and honey, go ahead. But don't judge a guy for eating the pork rib. You understand what I'm saying? You know, but also there are people, and I believe for me it's false teaching. False teaching. False teaching. Yesterday, a parent comes to my office and she has come to pray for her son who went to a church. This boy was top of the class and he goes to serve a certain man and woman of God. And when he goes to serve a certain man and woman of God, he tells them that for him, he does not feel, he's 20-something then, he does not feel that he should go to school anymore. He feels he just wants to serve at the church. Is he a preacher? No. He wants to drive the pastor. He wants to operate the machines. He wants to play whatever instrument is available for him. But he feels that God has told him to leave education and then start serving the pastor. Great student. Great student. And so the mother confronts the church and tells him, look, even if my son graduated and got himself a job, he would still serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This pastor and wife become more selfish because this boy comes in the church to fulfill a need. And they choose to enslave him and support his decision. The boy has grown now. He's about 30. He's going to marry a wife but is still living under the pastor's home. 
Now think what that girl is going to go through if she marries that man. So I asked the mother, I said, does the pastor take his children to school? Does he and his wife take his children to school? She said, actually, my son is their driver. My son is their driver. How wicked can people be? You see, how can he get somebody's son to make them a driver to tell their children at school? I thought the pastor was going to sit down this boy and tell him, look, with or without you, the kingdom of God will run, but we need your mind educated. It's a typical example. A young boy had a familiar spirit, which I believe, and I speak as an apostle of God, that was not the Holy Spirit. Because we too have degrees. We've studied well and excelled, but that doesn't mean that we're not anointed. Are you hearing me? It has not taken away our ministry. I don't think that that boy has walked the yards that I have in the gospel. You understand what I'm saying? But the boy was denied an education. He had a familiar spirit and he listened to that familiar spirit. So in this instance, they were manipulated. The boy was manipulated and that's witchcraft. That's witchcraft. That's Jezebel. Because she either manipulates, I've talked about that, or intimidates or dominates. That's witchcraft. That's witchcraft. Oh, thank you, Apostle Grace. Wow. Um, you have said many things. Many things have been said. But one of the things that you have, you spoke of in the beginning, first, and I feel you've emphasized so much, is the mentality. I realize that either by reason of wrong teaching, wrong education, many people have been taught the wrong way. And because of the teachings that we have had, um, the, the words that have been spoken to us, even in places where we have been raised, I feel they have affected the mindset of people. People are always in survival mode, yet God didn't call us that way. And I just wanted to emphasize to our hearers and viewers that as Apostle Grace spoke, in our dispensation, it's important to apply our minds. Because in Christ Jesus, we are perfect. The only way we can affect this world is through our minds. I felt you emphasize that strongly. And I think there was also a teaching, even in the churches, that mentality is not to be emphasized. There's a lot of emphasis on prayer and these things. But the mind is also spiritual. The Bible, like you said in that scripture, Romans, I think, 7, it says, I serve the law of God with my mind. That means when you apply your mind, you're serving God. I felt you talking strongly that because if we don't apply our minds, we're not serving what God has placed inside our hearts. Man of God. Let me build on that. What on us does the devil use most? <laughs> if you look at a human being, what does the devil apply himself to operate with most on a human being? The mind. It's the mind. You see? It's the one thing scripture has told you cannot be steadied just by a simple decision. It is a constant life of renewing it. You can't just say that now I've gotten a certain mind that's and I'm going to continue like that. That's not how God has made us. God has not made the mind to say that now I've understood this in 1992 and forever it shall be so. Even when you think it has sunk, it can sink and will sink in your heart, which is a very important aspect, but the mind needs to be renewed. Are you hearing me? That is why we have the word of God continuously. That is why we continue to yield ourselves to truth. We don't get tired. Because it doesn't mean that the heart is not converted. 
No. The heart agrees. The education of the heart is different from how the mind is educated. And yet both have to be educated. You see what I'm saying? Both have to be taught about the way of life and how to do it. But the way the heart receives is, the heart is like a ground, right? Scripture is very clear. The heart is a ground. Uh -huh. If you plant the word, the seed, and the heart is right, it will germinate. It will germinate. But the mind does not work that way. The mind does not work that way. The mind is not renewed by the seed principle. No. The mind is renewed by reason of exercise. Exercising the mind. That is why they will tell you that whatever man can exercise themselves to, they can actually later get into the mastery of anything. If you know how to churn, to pattern yourself on something and exercise yourself right, you can go from beginner, you know, amateur, right? And then you go to intermediate all through the stages to mastery. It's possible. It's possible. If you refuse to settle for list. You know, I was reading an article recently about um, uh, uh, some of the notable people in the world, Serena Williams and, uh, you know, people like LeBron and, you know, there's a group of chess girls and, different families and they were showing that some of the most successful athletes that we have in the world today from the time they were little their parents deliberately identified something and exercised these children continuously and they tell you that for some of those children predominantly was not a passion in their heart but when they continued exercising these children into, you know, this sport, some of them, the interest started to grow. And when the interest started to grow, they became the greatest. One of the best tennis players in Uganda, Duncan Mugabe, great friend of mine, he tells you his father has been in the sports place. You know the man very well. And so because this boy was raised around the sports arena and places, the father used to push him so much into, you know, playing and playing and playing. And somehow he picked it. And he's one of the best tennis players we have had the past few years. You see, why? Because somebody pushed the mind to exercise it. If you can exercise yourself to playing a game, if you can exercise yourself to riding a bicycle, if you can exercise yourself to driving a car. This mind is amazing when you can push it. You know, the scientists call it neuroplasticity. The mind is like elastic. You can expand it and it's able to go as far as you're able to stretch it through exercise. Why do you think now scientists are telling you that there's a correlation between people who don't exercise their minds and people who later get issues like dementia and the rest? You know, because the mind needs to be exercised. Okay. How often do you read? How often do you exercise your brain? You can exercise your body. You run, you do all that. And that's all fitness. And it's a good thing. But if you study, you realize that there are also brain exercises that help your mind to what? To work. We don't exercise our minds. You see what I'm saying? We don't stretch our children to exercise their minds. We don't give them tasks to help them think. Our children are growing on Ben 10 painting faces and dreaming to be Captain America or superheroes that don't even exist in real life. You understand? You find a kid and he wants to be like Thor. You understand what I'm saying? 
find him with a hammer. He just wants to hammer everything. Oh, he was a kid. Yeah, he's enjoying his childhood. Yes, but educate them too. Invest something in them that will help them think. You see, so why do I emphasize the mind a lot? Because child psychologists tell you that when you look at the way a child studies, what they don't learn, they lose. What they don't learn, they lose. And many people lost so much when they were growing up. Some people were never even taught to think. You see, I thank God for the man that raised me because you used to ask questions that will help you think. And that's just my way of life. Usually, if I've dealt with many of you, realize I ask you, so why did you say what you said? Because I don't want to just impose what I think and I don't want to first judge. But why did you do it? I'm sorry. No, 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 no. Why did you do it? I'm trying to get into this mind to understand, did this person actually think this through? But the end of that is we want to help people to start thinking. And now we have the disadvantage of the information overload age where so much information is coming to our generation. Like recently, was it Google that released the document that more information has been created the past two years than all human history. And all of this is you wake up on Facebook, you read 20 things, you wake up on WhatsApp, you do 20 things. So even though you should be a reader, you should know how to read. It's also important because you can also overload yourself. And read things that are not beneficial to your mind. You wake up, you're reading a story of who stole, who, who did what, who is the other one going to club with, who is pregnant, who married a fellow woman. You understand? It's all your head. The next day you go back with that. So you have a generation of people that are not contemplative. They don't process. They don't even sit down to think. In fact, they say that our generation now cannot even retain information. They can't keep a memory of something. They can't even read their car number plates. They can't even forget their own phone numbers now at 26, 25. Because the brain is overloaded. Yet it's important to exercise it. But there's wisdom in knowing how to strike that balance. Come on, clap your hands to Jesus. Praise God. I want us to just make a simple prayer. Father, we pray in the mighty name of Jesus. That as by knowledge you have unmasked the spirit of poverty. That is aided and built entirely by the slothful spirit. The sluggard spirit. The lazy spirit. And of these things that you have taught us, O oh God, without seeking to judge any man, but to seek for us to be aligned, we refuse and rebuke every sluggard, slothful, lazy, slack spirit out of your life in the name of Jesus. And we decree and we declare in the name of Jesus Christ that your mind has been renewed and that you're going to pattern your life to truth and that you will never be poor in Jesus' name. Amen. And if you've never given your life to Christ, I want to give you an opportunity to repeat this words after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I thank you because you shed your blood for my sins and was raised for my glory. Today, I have received you. The message you have just heard was brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. For more information, contact us on telephone number 41 466 4291 or email us at fenerocompala at gmail.com. You can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowships at Uma Multipurpose Hall from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. You can also catch the live stream at livestream.com slash Fenero. Fenero, make manifest.